Here we go. Today, we continue our foray into the year that was 1979. The comic books, the music, the television, the films, all that impacted pop culture in this incredible year. Marvel introduced us to She-Hulk. Scott Lang, who, who, who you know as Paul Rudd, is officially spun off as Ant-Man. Super Trent, the music of Super Trent. They have Breakfast in America. Michael Jackson goes off the wall and ACDC rides the highway to hell. All these and so much more on an all-new edition of Observations. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another edition of Observations. I am your host, Rob Liefeld. My, my biggest claim to fame is I make comic books. Rob Liefeld makes comic books. And for the last several years, I make this podcast. This podcast exists to celebrate all things comic books, comic book superheroes, and the impact they've had on pop culture. When I first started this show three years ago, it was taking you with me to the spinner racks of my youth, seven years old, pulling copies of Fantastic Four, Avengers, X-Men, and creating a lifelong uh, love affair or addiction, uh, which, whichever floats your boat, uh, the, the spinner racks became my dealer and 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 the, their contents were my drug. Uh, I was able to carve out a nice life for myself in comic books and now I love talking about them with you. We are in a series that we bounce back and forth uh, with, with great routine called The Decades. And uh, 1979 was the first part of this installment of The Decades. Part two of 1979 is what we are going to parse today. And I and, and if you're asking yourself, why? Why The Decades? Why these uh, you know forays into these years and, and looking at all this stuff? I'm going to tell you right now, the decade series has has been an eye opener to me. Revisiting some of these years, and 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 so far to date of all the years we've done, none has been as exciting and eye opening as 1979. It really uh, struck a nerve with with all of you as well because there there was a couple of days between me doing parts parts one and two of this series, and the feedback has been just phenomenal. And I go through these years, and I'm always trying to look at what has obviously the most impact, the most uh, information uh, that, that I can share and talk and discuss with you guys. And again, 1979 is loaded in part one of 1979, which for, for, for the record, little side note, uh, part one of 1979, in 1979, I am 11 years old. I will turn 12 in October of 1979. And, uh, but for the most of that year, I'm 11 years old. At 11 years old, super aware uh, my, my, my sister is seven years older than me. She is much more, how do I say, progressive. She she drives. She listens to all manner of rock music. And, and we're going to get to the music in, in, in just a minute. If there was ever an episode that I wished I had a budget to license music or, or clips of music, oh man, I, it, it was this one. The music of 1979 is just spectacular. Uh, I was able to listen to all of that music uh, with my sister who I would always... If she was going to the grocery store, if she was, uh, if, if she could ride to church and we could listen to ACDC on the way to church, I would prefer jumping in the car with her than listening to whatever boring, uh, I'm not even sure what was being, you know, 
played on my parents' radio. I would just tune it out. But uh, I lived on my bike. I had friends all over the neighborhood, Anaheim, California, up and down. Uh, I had my, my, my friends Nathan and Paul and Matt and, uh, and, and Kenneth lived in Buena Park. But we would just uh, canvas the entire county riding our bikes, riding our 10 speeds, riding our land cruisers, riding our skateboards. And, and uh, that, that is the primary way that I absorbed 1979. I needed rides to go to all these movies. So it was always, hey, mom, can I go see this? Hey, dad, can I go see this? And that is the way in which I absorbed uh, so much of this year. I, I was in junior high and, and a lot of this music that I'm going to talk about is, is stuff that I can, I mean, I am back at my desk in junior high, or I am, uh, you know, wandering the quad of junior high while we are talking about so many of the different albums and the and music. Because when you're 11 and you're getting 12 and 13, you're starting to dig music. You're starting to and you're starting to make your music tastes known, and you're, you're you're getting preferences and you're getting favorites. So again, the movies, uh, I can remember each one where I saw it. Uh, we covered movies in in the very first installment of 1979 and even since then looking back like superman the movie which again came out christmas of 1978 and then just just made money every weekend uh, like avatar it, it is it is like the star wars the avatar movies that are released in christmas now and then we find that those are the films that we're seeing in january and february and march so so superman just flew into our lives, Christmas 1979, and then just stayed there, and we lived with it um, for the for the first you know quarter winter of 1979. And the, the the crazy thing is, really, Superman the movie is the birth of the modern day superhero film. Uh, Dick Donner, what he accomplished, uh, the the vision, how he crafted such a, really a difficult movie with a guy who uh, in 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 the canon of Superman is so powerful. I remember as a kid when he would start flying backwards to reverse the Earth's trajectory. If you have not seen Superman the movie, directed by Richard Donner, starring Christopher Reeve, Marlon Brando, Gene Hackman, Margot Kidder, please correct that. Go see it. It's great. It's on HBO Max. You can you can access it so easily. Yes, there are, you know, uh, the, t- the, the, the passage of time is very obvious in, in some of it. But as a whole, it holds up spectacularly. And from the score, as I mentioned in the earlier one with, with John Williams, to the pacing, the humor, um, but, but, but the way that they presented Superman with all his power, with all his um, you know, responsibilities, the, 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 the way that he looks out for us, the, the quarrel that he has with the, ideology, the ideology of his own father from Krypton. Even the depiction of Krypton, which we didn't get into, was very advanced for the time. Very advanced, a radical departure to every version of Krypton that we had ever been presented with, uh, which was more kitschy in 1950s, and now this became like more um, disco-y, I mean, for a lack of a better term. So everything's silver, everything's glittery, but uh, it, it was a giant departure. But that kicked off the modern-day superhero. And 10 years later, Batman would arrive. So 79, 89. I told you guys that at the end of each decade, some really weird, cool stuff happens. Matrix happened in 1999. Like every 10 years, as the, as the decades turn, as, 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 uh, as, as we shift, you know, our collective kind of interests, what we love, uh, it, it, it's, it's, uh, 
what, 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 what influences fashion, art. I mean, it is impactful. And again, 1979 Superman kicked off the modern day uh, superhero film, given that so many people, Kevin Feige himself will tell you how absolutely instrumental Superman the movie was in, 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 in his life, the inspiration it gave him, uh, kind of the fact that he would go work as an assistant to Dick Donner uh, as a young, you know, as a young assistant in Hollywood and, and just expand and, 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 and continue that vision to bring you, you know, the Marvel movie, the Marvel cinematic, the Marvel cinematic universe. So really, again, Superman, 79, 10 years later, Batman. I mean, DC got out in front of this. They got out in front of this, right? And, and these movies connected and they made money. And then in the 2000s, Marvel put it together and they lapped them. And so, so there, there are ways that we can look at history as, as, as markers. And that's how I look at, when I look back at all this, is, is markers of not just time, of not just nostalgia and fun memories, but the influence that they have. It's fun to trace it. It's like a board, like, you know, we're, we're solving the crime in seven and we've got our strings attached to all the photos and going from one pin to the other. And, and in our case, it's, it's pop culture. It's this podcast. And, and this is how we do it in 1979. Uh, it, it is so damn amazing. So I can't go any further without jumping right into the music of 1979. I'm, I, I, I probably hear 1979 more than I see it, uh, because, this music is is incredible. This song, the the the, the Pink Floyd, the album Pink Floyd, uh, the Wall, just was a soundtrack for so many, for so many in uh in 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 1979. I mean. You, you can just hear, I'm, I, like, I, like I said, I'm in the quad, I'm walking with my friends, I'm, get, I'm going to get my, my, my lunch, you know, a, out of my locker, because uh, you get lockers when you're in junior high, I don't know how, how it worked in your, you know, wherever it was in, in, in Wisconsin, the cold, the, 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 the cold states and regions, you know, Montana, Wisconsin, uh, Illinois, the indoor schools, I went to an out, Southern California outdoor school. And you didn't get a locker until you got to junior high. And I remember going to the the different, uh, you know, go, going to get my my, my 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 bag with my sandwich and my chips and my cookie, and and we'd be, you know, singing and and talking about about uh, Pink Floyd. And and again, I'm not going to sing. <laughs> You're welcome. Uh, but but the, the this this very monotone. We don't need no education okay come on come on come on come on uh all we are is just another brick in the wall okay uh seminal seminal uh single that played honestly i i i i i feel like it played the entirety of that year and beyond it was uh just absolutely incredible i again i've never wanted a music budget until the 19 <laughs> until the 1979 another brick in the wall was was the anthem uh did you know did you know that that, that pink floyd the wall was the number one album of 1979 pink floyd did, did you know it sold 33 million copies did you know it sold 33 million copies all total just absolutely incredible. Now, this is going to burn your face off because it's so incredible. But Pink, <laughs> Pink Floyd, the wall in there, dun, 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 
another brick on the wall. I mean, just the entire album. Look, it's a great concept album. It was probably a little over my head as an entire album as my sister would jam on it uh, with, 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 when, when she would be driving around and I would listen to it. But but that that breakout, another brick on the wall single really just topped the charts. It was it was the song that you heard over and over and over again. You hummed. It was the earworm of that year. The burn your face off part is that <laughs> number two, uh, the number two album of the year uh, was the Bee Gees follow-up to Saturday Night Fever, which was called Spirits Having Flown. And I am going to tell you, I cannot recommend more highly a Bee Gees documentary that came out three years ago on HBO Max. It's directed by Frank Marshall, who produced the Raiders of the Lost Ark, Indiana Jones films, worked with Steven Spielberg for, for decades. Uh, Spirits Having Flown uh is the Bee Gees trying to keep that momentum going. And and obviously when you get to know them and you listen to them and, and you and you see really what nice, truly kind gentlemen and talented guys these are. And and the, and the way that they they found their sound. They found their sound, you know, quite a few albums before Saturday Night Fever, but man, boom, it blew up and they just kept this going and to the tune of 20 million sales. I mean, again, so so Let's go. Let's discuss the music of 1979 in very practical terms. There is no MTV yet, not not in the way that we're going to experience it in the early 80s, and and so uh, the visual representation of music has not hit us yet. It's the music. That's it. You listen to it. You dig it. You go to the store. You buy the album. You buy the cassette. I was ooh. I had graduated to a a uh, a, a radio with a cassette player built in. We were not at the boombox area yet. We're, we are not where you know boom boxes as big as your room would would be available and you could struggle to to carry them on your shoulder and walk around and yes i include white men to white people we're, we're doing that um because we wanted to be cool and have boom boxes and look like the stuff that we saw on television but my cassette i listened to most everything out of cassette we were transitioning away from eight tracks because my it, when i speak of my sister and her car and the car that i w- would get in and drive around with her uh i, I believe it was a Datsun, but she had an eight-track player, and we just there's something cool about just putting that eight-track in. It was like a the, the component aspect of, of it felt like a futuristic com, you know uh, a computer like like boom you're putting a cassette in this big giant thick cassette. and and my sister had like twenty of them and they were all over the floor in the back and you know you, you had to be careful not to step on them or, or you'd be ruining your 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 music so so yeah the uh, the, the 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 cool thing is uh is that i i had got my own you know cassette player and not a track and i could listen to music but i i did not buy the bg's uh spirits having flown the uh i'm gonna skip number three and come back to it because it's it's gonna take it's gonna take a while number three is a big deal but number four is another band that to me really defined uh that entire year and beyond. And there's days I will talk to my kids like now, like now in 2023 or summer 2022. And I'd be like, man, I miss super tramp. And they look at me like, what is a super tramp? I, I don't understand. What is super tramp? Again, another uh, band that, that, that left kind of had this incredible, had this incredible impact. And, uh, and then just just eventually faded away, and and 
was overwhelmed by all the other releases. But again, the way that we ingested music was not via music videos. And so the reason we're, we're, we're selling so much of this music is you can't get it on Apple. You can't get it on some download. Again, let's let's remind everyone that 1979 is a very basic year. We are, Social media is decades away. Uh, the internet is decade away, decades away for us as a popular conduit, as a popular interface. And, and so, so, uh, you know, cassettes, music, radios, music meant a lot to us. And we would go to department stores. We would go to Tower Records. We would go to Sam Goody. We would go to Musicland, all the different places you could buy albums and cassettes and listen to your favorite music. And Breakfast in America featured the, the, log, the logical song and Goodbye Stranger. Take the Long Way Home are just a few of the epic hits. You will, you will hear some of this music in a Paul Thomas Anderson movie. Um, cause Paul Thomas Anderson has a healthy, uh, you know, fixation and love for, for, uh, for super tramp and, and this music and, and the way that they crafted it and, and their very unique sound was, was a huge part of that year that my, my youth, uh, my memories, um, again, I, I want so badly to destroy your ears and just break out into song and sing each and every one of these, but super tramp breakfast in America, um, just incredible like logic the logical song has so much killer production um twists and turns uh it, it, it's 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 uh it just kind of goes places uh musically that you're not expecting and 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 yet we gobbled it up so so breakfast in america by super tramp 19 million albums sold um highway to hell again Man, do I want to break out and sing every every tune on this. But Highway to Hell, imagine being a Baptist minister's uh, son and, and being a Baptist minister's daughter, and you just cannot let go of ACDC. Did Sherry Liefeld, did Sherry Liefeld hide her copies of Highway to Hell from, from Paul and Patty? She did. Isn't that cute? My parents both had P's in their name, Paul and Patty. Paul and Patty Liefeld, Paul and Patricia. And, and were they on the hunt? Was or it was I just remember from '76 on, man, kings in Satan's service. That's all I heard. You know, we were told to to avoid Kiss. They're evil. They're they're the devil. They worship Satan. Don't listen to that music. My sister had Kiss in her in her car. Um, my my sister had Highway to Hell. She had Highway to Hell, ACDC, and we freaking loved it. And uh, I mean, just that anthem. And, and imagine being two great little Christian kids, totally swept up. In, in the darkness that was ACDC. And yes, I'm saying it with a big smile because we pumped that stuff out in my sister's uh, uh, car and it was so fun. ACDC, Highway to Hell, almost 10 million albums. Now, the long run, man, I, I, I have not seen one band as much in my lifetime as I've seen the Eagles. They are literally like the soundtrack of my life. Uh, they came on the scene when I was, you know, three, four years old, and then they just kind of extended. And when I mean came on the scene, like dominated radio when they when they finally finally started to connect and dominate. And obviously, Hotel um, Hotel California and the Long Run and just all of these amazing uh, uh, singles and and and, and hits. Uh, even the title track, the Long Run from the Eagles. You know, I I, I repurchased all of their music as LPs. Uh, we have a local record store. I, I, I forget the name of the record store. Some of you guys are going to, you know, 
be on Twitter after this airs and immediately remind me of it, but I wasn't expecting to, to, to talk about it, but we pass it all the time. The frustration of the liquor, <laughs> of, of not the liquor store, the, the frustration of the record store is they have these crazy hours. They're just open when they want to be. It's this um, family um, on the circle of Orange, Orange Plaza in Orange County, uh, in Orange, uh, the city of Orange in Orange County, Southern California. And they have, they have a killer collection that, that they just get great, um, old LPs, old albums, old um, singles, and over the years, I would I would grab all these from them because uh, I just wanted them back in my possession. And as and as LP record players came back in, and my kids all got one, I'm like, well, I can go to each one of the rooms and play one of these killer you know LPs. I don't even have to get you know get one for myself until they all started going to college and they disappeared from my house. And now I got to go buy one. For, <laughs> I got to buy one for myself. But uh, Eagles, the long run. Uh, just fantastic, fantastic album. Number six, Don Henley, Glenn Fry, uh, you know, Michael, um, Timothy B. Schmidt, and, and of course, Joe Walsh and all the others, uh, just crushing it. Uh, I love the Eagles. They are, I, I have seen them, I, I think 10 times, uh, since they got back together, since the hell freezes over tour, uh, they were a big deal when they broke up. It was a big deal. It was all over. Uh, again, another great documentary on that time. I highly recommend you should see his show. It was originally made for Showtime. It was two nights. It was two parts. I think it's almost three hours. You will not regret it. It will inform you of that time better than anything. Eagles, the long run. There's other, other, um, you know, like the canyons or, uh, uh, you know, music of the canyon or sounds from the canyon, stuff like that, 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 that covers that era as well, especially, uh, it, it's a little more varied, but nothing is better, more impactful. And I believe, Really, I've always said the Eagles uh, reflected me and my my uh, fellow image founders because uh, th- th- there's just too many lead singers. You know, a lo- lot of lead singers in that band. Everybody wanted to sing. Uh, the Dire Straits hit the scene with Communique, Communique, <laughs> Communique, uh, uh, Communique, Dire Straits, Communique, Led Zeppelin. In Through the Outdoor, and then let me tell you something. Number nine, Christopher Cross. If, if you Google Christopher Cross, you're going to see this guy with an arm full of Grammys. And uh, whether it was sailing or, or uh, you know, oh man, I mean, his, his music just dominated 1979. Very high-pitched, very high-pitched voice. Um, like, like, but, but, but he, he, he wrote, he, he, he made his music and his music connected and Christopher Cross won like seemingly every possible Grammy you could possibly imagine uh, during this period for this Christopher, it's, it's called, the album is just called Christopher Cross and uh, Van Halen too had their follow-up and I love Van Halen and kids love Van Halen and this is another album we were all jamming to. They hadn't gone worldwide global yet. They were kind of like your most popular garage band but um, there is no doubt David Lee Roth was charismatic as hell and Eddie Van Halen was a shredding genius. So Van Halen 2 launched and connected and, and, and sold uh, five and a half million copies. Christopher Cross with his uh, with his 6.2 million copies. I mean, th- th- this guy had so many ridiculous... It's, it's, it's honestly, it's, uh, it's, it's fascinating... That this mo- that this album wasn't number one, given how popular it was in in like, and your mom and dad liked Christopher Cross, especially your mom. Um, 
okay? Uh, ride like the wind, never be the same. Uh, these are killer. I mean, they're great tracks. They're great tracks. He is just incredibly uh, talented. Uh, a couple of years ago on 60 Minutes, they did a follow-up with him. Where's he been? Uh, super kind, nice guy. Still, you know, going around doing smaller venues, doing his music. But Christopher Cross, I mean, sailing, just incredible success on that front with that music. Let's go back up to number three because I, I, for me, this is the biggest album. Well, Pink Floyd's The Wall and ACDC Highway to Hell, um, they were earworms. I got to tell you, one Michael Jackson released, in my opinion, in my humble opinion, in your host's humble opinion, the single best work of his entire career with Off the Wall. Off the Wall, every single track just plays. It is fantastic. Uh, so old man Liefeld does like to go out to the pool in the hot months and chill out and kind of, you know, uh, uh, decompress, you know. Again, I'm up early. It's 4.30 in the morning. It's 4.30 a.m. I am giving you this podcast. It is my great pleasure. You get happy, Rob. Again, if you if you watch my whatnots, if you watch my whatnots, you'll notice Grumpy Rob is on whatnot because Grumpy Rob, it's it's late, 7.30 uh, Pacific, West Coast time. That's like, I'm, I'm almost at bedtime because I've been up since 4.30 on most mornings, either drawing or doing the podcast, connecting with you. Um, getting stuff done because I'm an early riser, always have been. I've got that curse I cannot sleep in under any circumstances whatsoever. To you who sleep in and to Kenneth Pledger, shout out to you for always being able to sleep in till one in the afternoon on Saturdays. We could not connect with Kenneth. Oh, Kenneth is sleeping. Kenneth will be sleeping. And if you slept over with Kenneth, um, get ready to be trapped in that room uh, until 1 p.m. because Kenneth could sleep. He, that kid could sleep like no one I ever met. He was a great family friend, a good friend of mine, but man, he had the superpower of sleep. I did not receive that superpower of sleep myself, so I'm an early riser. And uh, in the afternoons when I go and, and maybe I'll take my lunch uh, uh, in, in the pool and I'll just be sitting there and, and maybe I'll get a call from a friend or roll calls or, 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 or you know talk about some fun stuff. Uh, shout out to Jimmy J, my my favorite uh, uh, pool talker. Uh, but the other day I was just out there, and of course my 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 daughter's home from college, and she wanted to come and and uh, get some sun. And she doesn't mind me playing off the wall. There's there's some music, you know, not not into, not, doesn't want to hear it, but played off the wall from open to end. And and that that song that that music, these tunes, they are going to get you grooving. And the interesting thing about Michael Jackson is. Nobody wanted to make this this album. Nobody wanted to make this album. Spike Lee, uh, again on Showtime about four or five years ago, did a about a 90-minute, 80-minute documentary on the making of Off the Wall. And you will see music exec after music exec say that they didn't want to work with Michael Jackson. He was a kid's act. The, the, the Jackson 5 had been coming off a Saturday morning cartoon, which they had. And 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 they they they, they associated him with 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 childish. And with kids, to sound like how people look at comic books, I mean, it, it really kind of resonates. They didn't think that he had the stuff to make it to break out and and to, and to be, you know, a, a top act. And and music act after music act kept passing. Now, Quincy Jones, who had had some, some early success and, and was a great musician himself, and Michael got together. And they gave us, for my money, his absolute best absolute best album you do not get the thriller without off the wall because thriller i guess even though i believe off the wall has the better tracks 
um, thriller. There is no denying that it dominated like two solid years of my high school life. You know, my sophomore, my junior year, even somewhat into my senior year. I mean, this album thriller just dominated. He made all the right moves from teaming with Paul McCartney, you know, the most, uh, certainly the prettiest and, and maybe the most commercially successful after the Beatles, Beatle, uh, then the Eddie Van Halen, pulling Eddie Van Halen in for the track on Beat It. That is the one very different track that does not exist in any way, shape, or form on Off the Wall is something that sounds with a rock edge like like Beat It, you know, with Eddie Van Halen just shredding, just shredding. And yes, I drive my car around blasting that guitar solo. So did we all. So did we all. But, but the documentary um, that Spike Lee... Uh, produced with 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 Michael or about Michael in in the wake of uh, <clears throat> you know years after he was gone and and wanting to kind of uh, track the success and the creation of of this album is is so great because he pulls in not just the music producers who turned him down not just the guys that had to convince their 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 bosses that they should take a chance on him and and again when you when you think about what an incredibly inst- like influential album uh off the wall is and, and, and you go back in time and it's another one of those like lord of the rings like star wars okay like like comic book movies nobody wanted to make nobody wanted to touch they all kind of wanted to go in in their own direction uh <clears throat> the uh the, just the stories that you're gonna hear and the admiration from other artists uh and 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 their their feelings at the time on 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 not just the making of this album but the impact that each and every one of these songs had uh funny thing is it was never the number one album it had three number one singles but it was um never the the number one album uh the well the singles absolutely connected the uh the album as a whole never never charted at number one but it finished number three so again uh, Journey from Motown to Off the Wall is the 26 documentary I'm talking about with Spike Lee, and again in it you're going to get all manner of 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 uh, all the Jackson family who can comment comment, but Pharrell Williams, Questlove, John Legend, The Weeknd, uh, Kobe Bryant. God bless Kobe Bryant. He's just talking all about Michael, his work ethic. Barry Gordy, uh, L.A. Reid, uh, Stevie Wonder, David Byrne, Rob Cohen. All of these people weigh in. John Leguizamo, uh, <clears throat> Joel Schumacher, who worked with him on The Wiz. Uh, again, he, he just was not, you, 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 you think that because of all the success he had with the Jacksons and the Jackson 5, that he would be just a no-brainer. But nobody wanted to make this album with him. They thought he was a kid's act. And so the fact that it gave us all of these incredible, these incredible singles and, uh, and, and, from, from, you know, from living, I mean, just the title track, which to me is really a precursor to what you're going to hear on Thriller. Uh, and it's got kind of a, a spookiness, right? But, but, but rock with me. Um, don't stop till you get enough. Um, I mean, just, uh, out of my life, every single song on off, off the wall is a jam. It is, it, it, it really was the end of disco. I mean, Michael makes a disco album. This has very much disco overtures it is informed by the success that the bgs had had with saturday night fever michael was was if he was anything he was a commercial player he understood he wanted to have music and sounds that you dug but uh 
this was just uh just an incredible effort and incredible if at the end of this you go and pump that in you're you're gonna you you're just gonna be amazed i don't, I don't care if it's the kind of music you like um honestly my my daughter she really trends more coachella she's more of a music modern music modern country music but you get off the wall you get those tracks going and see the results it's it's genius in my opinion his best album ever came out in 1979 that is a snapshot of the incredible music i had to get into there before we get to more comic books we had we, we got it we got to get to the music and, and while i shared all of this with you i was taken back what a really eclectic varied um, menu of music from Supertramp to Pink Floyd to Michael Jackson to the Eagles to ACDC. Uh, just killer. Just a great year. And, and if I kept going, if I kept going, I am going to tell you, though, uh, it was really interesting. that there, there's, there's one article that I read on the music of, uh, of, of, of the... Uh, <clears throat> the the music of that year a couple of the uh a, a couple of items that i thought was was uh worth sharing i thought it was really really well written very expressive and <clears throat> this writer when speaking about the the music of uh of, of this era he believes it was it was the beginning of the end of so many of these these these, these um bands and uh and as like like sticks even though they had a huge album, Sticks had a huge album. Um, they had a huge single called Babe, but it was like the, the, a new era was emerging. And again, the most surprising thing about Off the Wall, uh, regardless, and the, and the number one hits off Off the Wall are Don't Stop Till You Get Enough, Rock With You, and, uh, and, and, and two others that were top 10. The album never, ever, again, hit number one, but the... Uh, the emergence of bands like Van Halen and ELO and the Cars, okay, uh, Supertramp. It was this. It was suddenly all of this music, all of these names. They dominated. I mean, they absolutely dominated the music scene, and and it was almost like a passing of the torch from one era to the other. And 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 let me tell you, I was one hundred percent all the way there for it. I was one hundred percent all the way uh, there for it. It was. Uh, you know, in in 1979, there were recordings uh, made by some of the classic rock artists of of that time, and and yet they existed again alongside the Donna Summers, the Sheiks. Um, you've heard Freak Out. You know you have the Van Halens, uh, the Cars, and and so so. And at the same time, you had uh, some of your older bands that were fading. And again, this is this is. Uh, this this is where the Eagles kind of that uh, they're trying to top Hotel California with the long run, and uh, and and it's a brilliant album. The long run is a brilliant album, but all they heard time and again was it was it's not as good as Hotel California because people loved Hotel California. And again, another kind of standout. It's not in the top ten, but Cheap Trick, who had been around, they went to uh, J- Japan to to. Uh, well, they, they, their their Japanese label issued, sorry, their Japanese label issued live at Budokan, and their live recording of "I Want You to Want Me" is another huge tenant of uh, of nineteen seventy nine. So there you go, great great albums. Go listen to Supertramp. Go listen to ACDC. Go listen to Pink Floyd. 
The Wall, Michael Jackson, You Will Not Regret It, 1979, just kicked ass and just on Off the Wall alone and what it was for me being the best, but it did lay down the tracks for one of the biggest selling albums of all time. And the Eagles and Michael Jackson continue to go back and forth as the number one selling album of all time. They just keep, Thriller took it from the Eagles. The Eagles eventually took it back when they got back together. They go back and forth all the time. You know, a lot of that was was cemented, that 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 rivalry for your, not between them, but for us and, and their music and our favorite favoriting of, of, of them. And the, my favorite thing about the Eagles is they're so ridiculously popular, but when you bring them up with certain sets, they're like, oh, I, I hate them. I hate all their music. I'm like, you hate all like 30 hit singles of the Eagles, which, which go from country to rock, crazy stuff, right? So 1979, comic books, comic books. This, this is going to shock you. This is going to absolutely shock you. Right in the last episode, we talked about uh, the success that the comic books had in regards to licensing because it, it really dovetailed into what was going on in movies that year. But in 1979, you had Marvel just had become the licensing darling. They had become the licensing darling. We covered this with on the on the back of, of Star Wars. So many podcasts in observations on Star Wars because it, it impacted so much more than just cinema. It impacted uh, licensing of of toys. Mark, I mean, literally, Star Wars remade the toy industry. Um, Star Wars remade the licensing industry, and it absolutely impacted publishing. And 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 one of those big impacts came in the form with the comic book success from Marvel Comics, who was reluctant. Go back, listen to those podcasts with Star Wars and how reluctant they were to get into the game. And and then once they did, and it, and it paid so many bills and it sold so many copies and it became Marvel's number one selling book that, yeah, they're like, okay, okay, Shogun Warriors, we'll take that. Godzilla, yeah, we'll take that. Okay, Logan's Run, uh, we already did that. That was before Star Wars. Why are we mentioning this on a 1979 al- album? Uh, you know, we'll, uh, we'll uh, in the future to come, we'll take Transformers, we'll take G.I. Joe, uh, you know, we, we'll take the Micronauts, we'll take ROM, we'll take your ROM toy. We'll do the adaptation of Star Trek, the motion picture. Again, we covered some of this, and that that, that is just one snapshot. There's a name uh, in the world of comic books that I now, uh, my friends tell me, because my buddy went to a convention, and he's like, does anyone love this next person the way Rob Liefeld loves this person? Okay, uh, and, and really the full sentence is, does anyone love Frank Miller the way Rob loves Frank Miller? And if you... Listen to this show, you know I've talked about Frank Miller a tremendous amount. Frank Miller's accomplishments, Dark Knight, Daredevil, Ronin, Sin City, 300. They just go on and on. His seminal Wolverine. Listen to that Wolverine podcast from from, from season one and, and, and find out how much of uh, 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 Chris Claremont and, and, and Frank Miller were being influenced to stuff all around you. The thing about Chris is if it was happening at the box office, it was if Alien in 1979 was a hit, a few months later, in X-Men, he'd have Kitty Pride get cha- get chased by his version of a xenomorph. And they didn't really attempt to hide it. Um, Chris Claremont saw the, the, the epic adaptation of the novel Shogun with Richard Chamberlain that was a ratings blockbuster. And he immediately moved to put that entire uh, Shogun, uh, not Shogun Warriors, there was a giant novel that took everybody by storm in a huge miniseries on NBC about a guy being shipwrecked in Japan. And, and then being kind of adopted to their ways and to their their lifestyle and falling in love and having influence and becoming a player on that scene and all the dangers that, that involves. Shogun. 
If it sounds like the Wolverine miniseries with Frank Miller that I just told you, it's because it is. And, and you'll learn all about it. it, it there's, there's no condemnation. We're all influenced. George Lucas and Steven Spielberg, two of the greatest minds, uh, talents ever in the history of cinema, will tell you how much influence that guys like Alfred Hitchcock and, and Kurosawa put on them. So influence is fine. We, we love it. I love talking about influences. Um, Frank Miller kicks off. He arrives in 1979. That is when his Daredevil run begins. He begins... Uh, doing Daredevil in 1979, and, and within a year, he is writing and drawing it and taking it to the top of the charts and restoring it from its bi-monthly schedule. If in case you've never heard that before, um, you, you know n- n- now you now you've heard it for the first time, and it, it said many <laughs> it said many times on this very podcast. But he is a giant talent, the most influential uh, talent of his age, and. Uh, in 1979, he was 22 years old, and he 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 starts um, drawing Daredevil 158, and he doesn't look back. He had done a team up with Spider-Man prior to that in the pages of Spider-Man, but his very first issue of Daredevil is issue 158. There's no looking back. There is no turning back. He dominates. We're just gonna leave that that right there. Another one that sneaks up on you in comic books. I've talked about it here often. I've talked about what a giant um, influence that she had on my own imagination and the possibilities. And man, I can make a comic book of, of my own. I could publish it my own. How many of you guys have made your own comic book and it hasn't seen print? I mean, uh, Youngblood, my giant breakout success in Image Comics, the very first Image Comic, the book that launched Image Comics. Uh, I was drawing as a self-publication first. Those pages, I just looked in, there's a it's out of print from 2006, Youngblood. I restored the original miniseries, but I just looked at this last night. Uh, and, and in the back, there's my original Youngblood pages that I was going to publish myself. And those samples are what I gave to Marvel Comics on what they got me hired, what, what, what I got hired from. But that doesn't happen without me encountering Wendy Peeney and her ElfQuest um, comic book published in magazine format, big, big size. She, she wrote it, she penciled it, she inked it. Her talent was amazing. The painted covers were, you just couldn't look away. Who is this incredible talent? Wendy Peeney and ElfQuest debuted in 1979. In 1979, I've talked often, yeah, from 78 to 79, the X-Men were climbing the charts, radically changing the Marvel Universe, shifting the balance from Fantastic Four, Avengers, and Spider-Man being the top draw and turning it towards the X-Men and their adventures. And that was on the back of the incredible work done by John Byrne, Terry Austin, and uh, no less than Chris Claremont. They traveled home from 1978 to 1979 from this um, incredible multi-part story where Magneto had them trapped at the bottom of a volcano uh, underneath the lava. And then the lava broke and they they, they, they they were split up and some of them, you know, the, the, both factions believed the other were dead. A small faction made it back to Charles Xavier, Jean Grey and, and, and Hank McCoy, Beast and, and Phoenix made it back to, to, to Charles Xavier and they reported that Cyclops, Colossus, Banshee, Wolverine, Nightcrawler, uh, you know, did I say Wolverine? Yeah, but they were all dead. They're all dead. They died. And, uh, and for that period of time, because again, you don't have cell phones, you didn't have computers. There was no way to reach out and send a message. Um, First, they've got to battle through the savage jungles of Savage Land, then get put on a boat, and they head over and they they pop into Japan, where 
Logan first meets Mariko and starts kind of the adventures that would be continued in the Wolverine series with Frank Miller. But then they go to Canada on their way home. They go to Canada and we get a glimpse. Uh, he was originally introduced as, as Vindicator and now he is Guardian. But Well, he's not quite Guardian yet, but, but John Burns' incredible um, tribute to Canada because this guy focused on Wolverine and, and turned him into the fan favorite of the book because he was from Canada as he was originally introduced in the pages of the Hulk. And John Burns like, well, I am going to put all my focus on making the Canadian guy in this book the most interesting because John Byrne himself was a Canadian, proud, you know, son of Canada. Well, he decided to introduce a Canadian super team that took all of our collective breath away. They're called Alpha Flight. They arrived in the pages of X-Men in 1979, a two-parter in which they go toe-to-toe uh, staggeringly so, because at this point we are really convinced that the X Men are so incredibly badass. They have taken Magneto. They have taken down a god in the Savage Land, Garok. They have taken down Moses Magnum and all of his um, forces in, in in the adventure in Japan. But now they've come up across Alpha Flight, who want to take back Logan Wolverine. They want to um, basically take. They want to basically take. Uh, possession of him he's he's a product of canadian technology of weapon x and you are introduced to north star aurora the brilliance of sasquatch shaman uh snowbird killer team blew my just blew all of us away the the, the hinting at what was to come uh with alpha flight and uh and 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 basically playing the long game building towards their appearance towards this giant confrontation <clears throat> was was one of those periods that I remember I had a really hard time waiting in in between issues for the big showdown the big showdown that they promised the big showdown that uh <clears throat> that arrived like literally for a wall-to-wall all out and this is what we love the most action episode in X-Men 121 120 teased us 121 has the most epic Dave Cockrum cover inked by Terry Austin with uh, Colossus flipping Sasquatch, Snowbird, and Storm battling uh, amidst like the crazy weather that both of them are are, are presumably uh, generating and then and then Vindicator being blast, later to be Guardian being blast by Cyclops. Uh, the interiors are no less impressive. It is outstanding. Alpha Flight would go on to get its own spinoff book which would kiss... 500,000 copies. We're going to do more on Alpha Flight in the future. We've gotten a lot of uh, requests and we need to, to, to do more international. We've done international heroes from from DC in the past and some from Marvel, but Alpha Flight is deserving and you're going to listen to that story. It's it's very complicated because uh, uh, Mr. John Byrne is on record as he didn't really enjoy giving them their own title even though it broke out and it topped the charts and it was Marvel's number one launch and for the longest time it was their best-selling single-issue copy. So Alpha Flight arrives. We are introduced to this team as a concept going beyond the the, the single issue. I think it was 108, 109. Don't, um, don't hold me to it when we first met uh, Vindicator as he was coming to, to take Wolverine in and we saw that how formidable he was and he grabbed our imagination people peers of mine like um like like Marat Ratmansky he t- has told me that like 109's introduction of of the vindicator is like uh weapon alpha 
was was like one of his favorite comic books ever that it just absolutely dominated him and took his the entirety of his breath away okay is that is that dramatic enough i'm trying to keep this dramatic so alpha flight we've got frank miller making his debut a seminal um talent i'm I'm just gonna sneak this in there there's some stuff that's been written about frank miller since he's been doing these new marvel comics and my response to everyone who wants to parse one image of his and 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 make some kind of snap judgment and pronounce you know all these negatives about it i go why don't you instead of dwelling on this go get all four issues of dark knight uh all of the you know issues of ronin his entire daredevil run get the wolverine run make sure you don't leave that behind get 300 get the giant my compilation of Sin City is the heaviest compilation I have. I, I sometimes think it's going to break my shelf. Uh, it is a giant, super duper, like extra phone book size. Uh, get those, stack those up. Look at the thousands of pages this man has created that have changed the course of comic books. His influence is everywhere, especially in my peer group and below. The guys below us are still being influenced by him. And think about that for a minute. And think about that you're taking time to try and drag one image that a guy did rather than focus on all the greatness that he gave to you. Just think about that. Think about that. Maybe do that instead. Maybe, maybe that's a good thing you should do. Uh, <clears throat> She-Hulk launched in 1979. The She-Hulk that we would um, know and love started right here in her own spinoff book. Now, here's the deal. The reason in the 70s that we were getting Spider-Woman and She-Hulk and Ms. Marvel instead of Captain Marvel, Stan Lee believed that these cartoon companies were going to, uh, and look, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use the Savage Dragon cartoon, the the the, the uh, Savage Dragon, which may or may not have, if, if memory serves, was it on the USA Network? Um, they gave him like a, 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 dune, a dune buggy or a car to drive, and, and did they or did they not give him a dog? Did they give him a pet? But these are like the applications that animation um, puts on your stuff because the people who run, not the animators, the executives that, that run these cartoons that were airing in the 70s, 80s, they always wanted companions like Godzilla. The Godzilla cartoon that I loved had Godzuki, which I didn't. I loved seeing Godzilla and the animation of him rising from the water. Yes, Godzilla had a kick-ass late 1970s, uh, maybe even 79, 78 cartoon on NBC on Saturday morning. But they gave him Godzuki. And come on, I don't want Godzuki talking cars, talking pets. And, you know, also, hey, let's do a female version or a male version of this character. This is stuff that would not be out of the realm for them to do if you're doing a Spider-Man cartoon and then going, hey, uh, I came in and I did... I want to do Spider-Woman, the girl who would be Spider-Man. And suddenly then Marvel would be like, crap, we didn't create that. An animator created that. The notion was that Stan wanted to take the female, uh, he wanted to make female counterparts to so many of the popular Marvel characters so that Marvel could at least have dominion over them, say that they did them. Well, I'm going to tell you, if that was the impetus uh, for She-Hulk with Jessica Walters, it was great. That first issue came heavily advertised in all the books full page advertising of the first pay of the first cover the the number one issue and 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 really promoting that this is something you're going to want by stanley by john buscema i didn't miss it uh the first series didn't quite find itself but when john byrne returns put she hulk at the forefront in the fantastic four during his epic five year long run on that book and then spins her off on his own she becomes the darling she becomes the fan favorite that we know and love today Dazzler appears. Dazzler appears uh, in the X-Men. 
Uh, huge deal. Scott Lang as Ant-Man was introduced in 1978 in, 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 in some, some, some issues, uh, but he adopts the Ant-Man persona. The Paul Rudness of it all is born in two killer Marvel premiere episodes uh, that came out uh, in 1979. 1979, you cannot sleep on it. These are just some of the highlights. I'm going to miss maybe your favorite. But these are the biggies. Frank Miller, Daredevil, come on. Is it bigger than that? All those licensed books, Battlestar Galactica, Shogun Warriors, Rom, Micronauts, ROM. And, and they, they got Godzilla in 78. Some of this stuff started like Superman in 78, but it boomed. It found, it's just like an album that can be released like in the middle of one year, then dominates an entire year after that. Uh, so all the licensing books from Marvel. I, I covered that DC's real signature achievement in, in part one was that they did... Nine Superman books. And and what I left out there was they did World of Krypton. Or if, if I did mention it, forgive me. But they did a spinoff book, a miniseries, World of Krypton, because of the spotlight that was on Krypton in the 1979. Uh, it, you know, it's 1978, but it was the number one movie of 1979. In Superman's dominance, by the middle of the year, they put out World of Krypton. So you could get a greater glimpse of Krypton. And that curiosity and that desire did not exist until the Superman movie charted and, and exploded and became such an influence. Frank Miller, ElfQuest, Alpha Flight, She-Hulk, Scott Lang as Ant-Man breaking out on his own. Here's the deal. I'm going to mention one more thing. Project Pegasus was kids my age, one of our favorite forays into comic books. And I'm going to tell you why. The easiest way to discuss, and I've got episodes on this, the rivalry that defined an era is maybe my third, fourth episode of Rob Observations ever, and it talks about the, the Tom Cruise and Brad Pitt of comic books. Now, <clears throat> that would be John Byrne and George Perez. They competed for all the same roles. They headlined similar movies, franchises. They were heavily sought after, both of them, for every major event. Everybody wanted them drawing their books because the fans loved the detail, the storytelling, the renderings, the, their particular styles. Very similar in their approach and yet different as different as Brad Pitt and Tom Cruise, and as similar as, as as Tom Cruise and Brad Pitt. They both represented the excellence of an era. Project Pegasus is a Marvel 2-in-1, which was a top-selling book for Marvel, featuring The Thing from Fantastic Four, as he took over security uh, in this storyline for a government research facility called Project Pegasus. And look, long story short, at the end, Project Pegasus is going to release something that they shouldn't, and all of the different characters... Uh, are going to um, um, throw themselves into helping this out, all the different characters that get collected along the way. Uh, the the new giant man, Goliath, uh, is featured in this. I think his name is Bill Foster, if, that, if, if memory serves. Uh, Quasar, who is, I believe, Wendell Vaughn, who would go on and get his own series uh, in the late 80s, early 90s. Uh, great, just incredible. Thundra, a, a really fun character from the Fantastic Four. Just a a lot of like what you would consider at the time C and D level characters are alongside an A list breakout star named Ben Grimm, the Thing, as as uh, and, and Project Pegasus rolls off the tongue. But this six part epic is told in three parts by John Byrne and three parts by George Perez. John did parts one, two, three. Then you picked up issue four with no you know warning whatsoever because we didn't have previews catalogs, we didn't have like you know uh, internet social media tipping us off to what's going to be there. Four, five, and six are drawn by George Perez. It is 
Uh, I have it in, in trade paperback form. I have it in hardcover form. Project Pegasus is one of the most exciting adventures. It was a defining storyline that, again, the Bronze Age kids like myself, the art is brilliant. It is beautiful. It is clean. It is slick. Tons of action. Everybody fights. Um, great sci-fi concepts. And the idea of, of just the title, Project Pegasus, made for this great kind of event storyline within this book. 1979 is when Project Pegasus hung its hat. Byrne and 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 George Perez had shifted off like on art chores on the Avengers and the Fantastic Four, both one on for six issues, the other maybe on for seven issues, back and forth. But this is a concentrated storyline that they both contributed to. It wasn't like he did half of Marvel 2 and 1 that year and he did the other half. No, this is they did three and three of this kick-ass storyline called Project Pegasus, another huge comic book event in 1979 and that will wrap it on the comic books as much as i like the comic books i'm still hearing all that music but and most importantly uh let's wrap up with television this was not my favorite time for television in uh in 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 in, in this period right before this uh with the advent of six million dollar man bionic woman wonder woman the Hulk TV show with uh, Lou Ferrigno, Bill Bixby, uh, Charlie's Angels. That's that's just a really fun time. A lot of action heroes, a lot of, lot of pretty people doing action-oriented things. And, and yes, no, I'm not hung up on it. It's the producers that are hung up on it. Um, that's why they gave us all the pretty people. I mean, the era right before is defined by Lee Majors and, and uh, Lindsay Wagner as the Bionic Woman and Farrah Fawcett, uh, Jacqueline Smith, Kate Jackson, Cheryl Ladd. In, in, in Charlie's Angels, but <clears throat> things were changing, and and the and the shock of it is how much CBS dominated, just dominated. CBS has one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight of the top ten shows of nineteen seventy nine. Sixty minutes. It's a perennial. It's never going anywhere. I still watch it. My wife and I will um, record it every Sunday and fit it in eventually. But we love hearing those stories. They are the quality news agency production. Uh, 60 minutes top the charts. ABC has two entries here. One with Three's Company. They called it Jiggle TV. Aaron Spelling loved his beautiful women and um, and 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 their very form fitting clothes and sweaters. And you could see that not only in Charlie's Angels but in the breakout that was Three's Company and Suzanne Summers. And oh my gosh, we never missed this. That Three Three's Company was an absolute top comedy. John Ritter with his incredible comic genius, his timing, his physical comedy. He was Jim Carrey before Jim Carrey. Uh, Three's Company was a great 30-minute soap opera that had a, I mean, I'm sorry, situational comedy that had tons of soap opera antics going on behind the scenes. Google Three's Company, the history of Three's Company, Suzanne Somers herself. This is, you're not buying the thigh master unless you saw uh, Suzanne Somers as Chrissy on Three's Company. That was the number two show, uh, in 1979 that's incredible was a compilation show with three hosts who would give you clips of people jumping out of planes jumping off of cliffs holding their breath doing great daring great feats of daring do that's incredible i I would catch it if it was on i'd watch it it was not something i loved but it was this is like where it flexes and it is it is the most popular that's incredible uh alice which was about a woman at a diner which is still on in reruns on the weekends i see it 
and MASH, the long-running MASH. MASH is, MASH is approaching um, the, the kind of the back end of its, of its run here in 1979. It still had some years to go, but MASH is the number five show Alice again Alice was the number 4 show millions millions are watching this she even gets a, she even gets one of the other waitresses in a spin-off show that is your number 7 show but we can't skip number 6 cuz number 6 was about to take over number 6 in 1979 was just getting started and it was about to take over and rule the next several years that is Dallas with Larry Hagman um Victoria Principal just rocked Friday nights everywhere. My parents, it was appointment television. We would go out. We would have dinner on Friday night. We would walk around the mall. We would do some shopping, but we were back in our house at 8.30 to get ready for nine o'clock in Dallas. And again, I would love to hum that theme song for you, but alas, I cannot. Uh, Dallas, huge, huge, uh, giant breakout hit. Number six show of 1979. Flo, Flo, F-L-O. Yes, you heard that right. Flo is Alice's friend at the diner. She got her own spinoff. Flo got her own damn spinoff, and it was the number seven show. The Jeffersons, they were moving on up. They had been topping the charts for a long time. The Jeffersons uh, was the number eight show, and and ironically, a spinoff of a show below it, which would chart at number 10, but uh, the Jeffersons was number eight. Dukes of Hazard, you know Bo and Luke. Luke is the name of my first son. We say it's a biblical name. People say, you name it after Luke Skywalker. I can't really make a convincing argument that I didn't. I just kind of lean into the, he's one of the books of the Bible, first and foremost, okay? When my second son was, we were arguing names and we didn't settle on Chase Liefeld until the night before. We just kept eliminating each other, each other's names as we did with every kid. But at one point, my wife's like, let's, let's name him Bo. And I said, we cannot have the Dukes of Hazard be our kid. I cannot be the father to Bo and Luke. That is weird. And she was like, oh, crap. And in our tracks, we stopped cold and we eliminated Bo. So Chase Liefeld, we saved you from Bo because we could not be the parents of the Dukes of Hazard. But Luke and Bo, uh, Bo and Luke, they reigned the charts. They were a top 10 show. Number nine, Dukes of Hazzard. Uh, people just ate that show up. One day at a time, excuse me. The Jeffersons is not a spinoff of of One Day at a Time. That's a situational comedy. I thought it was. I was. I thought Number Ten was going to say All in the Family. I am wrong. One Day at a Time. Valerie Bertinelli was the Number Ten show. Uh, the Jeffersons was a spinoff of of uh, All in the Family, and then would go on to have its own enormous chart success. But Number t- Ten uh, is uh, with Schneider and the gang. Uh, a mom and her two daughters living in an apartment complex. One Day at a Time would play for seasons and seasons on end. That is the stuff that people loved. A lot of comedy, a lot of situational, a lot of half-hour shows. Three's Company, half-hour show. Alice, half-hour show. Flow, half-hour show. Jefferson's, half-hour show. One day at a time. So 50% of this list is situational comedies. People loved them. They ate them up. You got a news magazine that was number one that topped everything. But that is a snapshot of the TV that we were watching in 1979. Everybody, I'm telling you, the music, the comic books, the movies, uh, the television, what a kick-ass era. To me, defined so much by the movies that we discussed in part one with Superman, with Alien, with with putting the Star Trek uh, franchise back into play, taking it out of the mothballs, following all those years of rerun success as it just got so many kids like myself who would watch Star Trek back-to-back Saturday, Sundays, and they, they finally made that movie in 1979. Broke all records. Was a record-breaker. Following on the heels of Superman the year before, which would play off like I said, so far into 1979. But you had Rocky too. I mean, come on, again, like I said, Creed, we're still living this out. This is why we do this. We look at history to inform us where we're going now, 
where we've been is, is generally sometimes where we're still going. Comic book movies are still the thing that everyone is chasing, that, that, that incredible success that they continue to achieve with their connections with this audience. As this audience grows, it's fun to watch. Superman started all of that. Off the wall, best album of Michael Jackson's career, if you're asking me, at least in the top uh, of what he produced and so influential musically. All of those acts, super tramp, very unique. Uh, you know, the comic books, Frank Miller, ElfQuest, Project Pegasus, all of the licensing books, the arrival of She-Hulk. 1979 had skin in the game. I, I have rarely had more fun revisiting an era, revisiting a year. Uh, being 11, turning 12 in October in 1979, really great memories, great fun. Thank you. Thank you for sharing them with me. I hope maybe you go listen to a track, watch one of these movies, crack one of these comics, and uh, and and uh, and and kind of see what I saw and what everyone saw during that during that period during that era. I am so excited that you listen to this show. I, I am so thrilled that you partake with this show. Um, man, some of these episodes, 1979 was, as my kids would say, an absolute banger. Um, we we've been. Um, just it's just such a just a pleasure to um, know that so many of you are taking this journey with us. I appreciate it. I thank you so much. We generally read reviews at the end of the show, and today we are going to um, first tell you about so many other things that I'm involved in. I'm going to tell you there's nothing more important that I'm doing right now with my own art and my stories than Deadpool Batterblood. It launches Jane, excuse me, <laughs> June seventh, June seventh. Deadpool Batterblood, the long-awaited. Much anticipated sequel to Deadpool Bad Blood, the 100-page graphic novel that we split up into singles this last fall of 2022 and gave it to you with extra pages, extra bonus content. And uh, the sequel comes out, Cable, Wolverine, Deadpool, Thumper, so much more. You're going to meet Shatterstorm. You're going to learn what Killville is. You're going to meet Arcada. Um, did I say Did I say Starpool? I did. You're going to meet... Starpool. I'm trying to tease you. I'm trying to get you excited. I have poured so much of myself into this. I can't wait to share it with you. Uh, uh, Chad Bowers joins me on on uh, providing script. Jay Ramos crushes it on colors. Cannot wait to get this into your hands. I'm doing a signing for this. My only personal appearance is at Tustin Tunes and Toys in Tustin. If you're in Southern California, if you're in Orange County, and on Saturday, June 10th, Saturday, June 10th is when the signing is. The book comes out June 7th. There's also going to be all sorts of crazy variants, exclusives that I did with other um, vendors, whatnot, has a couple of them. Stash Loot has some more. These are these are guys that um, have invested in this book, and we're going to be sharing those on whatnot. So come see me in person. I'll have all of this stuff available. June 7th is when the book lands. Make sure you've got your copy reserved and that your store knows that you want it, and I'd love to see you on June 10th in Tustin, California at Comics, Tunes, and Toys. And uh, we're going to start signing at noon. I'm signing one free copy of Deadpool Batterblood. You buy that from Tustin, Tunes, and Toys. You roll up to me with it. I'm signing it to you for free. Everything else has a menu. You can look over our pricing. There's going to be all different opportunities. But Deadpool Batterblood, number one, I'm signing for free. I can't wait to sign that for you. Uh, hope to see you there. Whatnot is an app that I am all over. I am doing live shows all the time. Follow me, Rob Liefeld. Download the app. Whatnot is where you can, there's a million stores online, live streaming, so you can get Bronze Age comic books, Silver Age comic books, key comic books, Funko Pops, toys, manga, anime, uh, Yu-Gi-Oh, Pokemon, all manner of different um, card games, sports gear. 
Download the WhatNot app. Follow me, Rob Liefeld. I go live at least twice a week at this point. And uh, we have custom and exclusive comic books variants, custom signatures, uh, uh, toys, pops. We do it all. We share it all with you. I am on uh, on air looking right at you, talking to you for two to three hours when I do my live streams. And yes, I am grumpy Rob. It is end of the day Rob. End of the day Rob is not as nice as Rob who is talking to you right now. So just, just let, let's call it... Um, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Rob, okay? Um, Mr. Rob is not Dr. Jekyll. Very, two very different personalities, two very different people. Um, some crazy, <laughs> some crazy stuff happens on that show. Maybe because I'm just trying to, you know, stay focused. So please join me on my Whatnot stream and check out all of the stuff that we have. Um, custom variant comics. Uh, a lot of stuff you get only from my Whatnot. Uh, 30th anniversary of a character I, I created called Blood Wolf, who I loved, debuted in Darker Image. Those 30th anniversary books are only available through my live stream. I hope to see you guys there. I am all over social media. On Twitter, I am at Robert Liefeld, R-O-B-E-R-T-L-I-E-F-E-L-D. You'll know it's me. I love to um, talk back, talk with, uh, look at your comments, your messaging. Visit me on Twitter. Can't wait to see you there. At Robert Liefeld. Great platform. Love all the different conversations that we can have. On Instagram, I am at Rob Liefeld. You'll see sneak peeks of what I'm drawing, um, the, the, the work that I'm creating, art, food, ice cream, uh, wherever I'm eating with my wife, going, journeying, the travels, where I'm going to be this summer. Uh, that all comes to life in spectacular cringe, as some in my family would have you believe. On my Instagram account, I'm at Rob Liefeld on Instagram. At Rob Liefeld. Got a blue check just to tell you that that is absolutely me. I am verified. That is the real Rob Liefeld, not the fake Rob Liefeld, um, that you can visit at Rob Liefeld on Instagram. We have a group, Facebook. Come visit us. It's called Rob Liefeld, Marvel Extreme and Beyond. So many of the conversations that we're having here continue. Uh, and, and the discussion gets bigger over there. Rob Liefeld, Marvel Extreme and Beyond. Myself or a gentleman named Terry Sala will click you through. That is how you know you've reached the right place. We are the administrators. Uh, hope to see you there. Great. Just an incredible uh, community. There's art contests. Everybody's sharing their comics, stories about the comics that they love, the stuff that connects us. Join us, Rob Liefeld, Marvel Extreme and Beyond, uh, over on Facebook. It's a group, not a page. So uh, let's see. We've done whatnot, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. I, I, I think I'm at the end, except I need to tell you that CGC, the world's... Uh, Leading grading company that so many of you love and you have your graded copies. You're always hoping for a 9-8. I'm hoping for a 9-8. I am doing my first private in-house signing with them at the end of the summer. You need to send in the books that you want me to sign right now. You need to get those ready. They're accepting through the end of July. Uh, you need to get whichever Wolverine, Deadpool, X-Force, um, New Mutants, Youngblood comics that I've done, Snake Eyes, G.I. Joe. Get those in. Special variant covers. Limited stuff. Hard to find stuff. My early stuff with Megaton, Profit, um, whatever, Evangeline. Get those in. Get those prepped. Go to the website. Go to CGC. Look for Rob Liefeld. Search Rob Liefeld News. Rob Liefeld. They'll have an entire press release, an entire news item devoted to how you get your books to me. Do that. I'm going to fly there. I'm going to be there, what they tell me, for uh, several several weeks, signing your books. Several days, not not weeks, sorry. <laughs> Um, but who knows? It's, it's early. There's still like literally two full months for you to get this stuff in. So get this stuff in, get to CGC, um, get your books if you want them graded. And, um, there's a special Liefeld logo. A lot of the specialty menus have already run out. I, I had, um, I added extra, uh, 
extra chisel signatures. You should check that out. There's a very few of those left. Make sure you check those out. And and, and I would love to um, sign your book. So get those into CGC. Looking forward to seeing what you guys uh, send me. Um, we're not going to do reviews today. We went way long. I'm trying to, every time I get on this mic, I'm trying to produce a shorter show for you, but it keeps going longer. Um, here's the deal. I want you to be okay and good. The pandemic was weird. I'm still kind of shaking it off. It's when this show was born. My son said, dad, I can hook you up. I can buy you a blue Yeti mic. I can make this happen. And, and, uh, and I have, uh, just kept telling these stories, even when I kind of wanted to tap out because I started seeing you guys all when the world opened up again and we would go to signings and this is the thing you want to talk about the most. And I am so thankful uh, to share this experience with you. Thank you for all the reviews that you send in and all the positive things that you, um, tell me, but I want to tell you how much I appreciate you. And, and how much I appreciate that you tune in, you listen, you um, it, you know, pr- promote the show. And and I am uh, aware that life, man, it's a grind. Life can be an absolute grind. And I am um, there with you. I'm experiencing it myself, raising uh, a family, now adult children, totally different skill set. Uh, you know, been, all been married 28 years uh, this summer. Just extremely fortunate, extremely blessed. But I want your mental health your physical health, your emotional health, and your spiritual health to be where you need it to be. And and trust me, I, I again, I know, I know you're out there grinding, so am I, and it takes its toll. And so again, what I do every time is take a break, take a, take a cheat day, go watch one of those great movies that you've been meaning to watch, read a comic book, go get it out of the long box, go get it out of the short box, break it out, admire your collection, look at the, the stuff that you spent years and years um, culminating. Um, read those stories, read a great novel, watch one of the, your favorite shows, binge it, um, have great food, pasta, pizza, you know, tacos, hamburgers, hot dogs, you know, get, get a nice juicy, uh, steak, uh, uh, prime rib, whatever, whatever is your pleasure. Wash it down with a milkshake. Everything is better with a milkshake or here comes a Reese's peanut butter, big cup. <laughs> a Reese's peanut butter, big cup. Good God. Those are the, the nectar that, that, that is the nectar of the gods, those peanut butter cups. Who would have thought peanut butter and chocolate, right? So anyway, everybody, come on. I want you to do well. I am tapping you, fist bumping you through this mic. I want you to do well. Please take time out for yourself. Reawaken yourself through the arts, music, comics, books, novels, movies, shows. Um, just, just, you know, take a minute, take a beat and, and, and get inspired and reset. And that's my, my absolute, uh, you know, wish for you. And, and I am cheering you on my, my fist is shaking. I'm, I'm cheering you on right now. And I hope that your day is spectacular. Please come back. Please come back and see me. I will be waiting here. We will most certainly, absolutely, inevitably talk again real soon. 